0: Hello there and welcome to the show and look we're going to do something a little bit different tonight our whole show is actually going to be about one thing and you probably know what and you probably know why because all week long protesters have continued to fill the streets in all 50 states in the wake of the horrific murder of George Floyd by the police and in response to those protests which have been a stirring pushback against institutional racism and brutality it's been frankly sickening to see them met with this Across the country, peaceful protests have too often devolved into
1: standoffs with heavily armed police using military-style tactics. Flashbangs, tear gas, rubber bullets, helicopters, armored vehicles. We're out here peacefully protesting, but they're armed like they're going to war.
0: Yeah, they are. And look, if police are trying to convince the public they're not guilty of displaying excessive force, it's probably not a good idea to repeatedly display excessive force on national television, including in this city where Mayor de Blasio praised them for their tremendous restraint and Governor Cuomo threatened to send in the National Guard. And I'll say this. Having recently said that I couldn't wait to go back to hating Andrew Cuomo again, I didn't think the opportunity would come quite this soon.
2: So I'm here to compare John to the mainstream media that we watch on CNN, MSNBC, and so forth. Mainstream media were fawning all over the Cuomo brothers. Crystal Ball said that the media people were thirsty. So John passes the first test. And these protesters
0: have received a great deal of support, with massive marches taking place all around the world. And the protesters' message has taken many forms, from chants, uh, to signs, to a man who called into an L.A. police commission meeting held over Zoom. Now, he'd been given 30 seconds, which he used with maximum efficiency to deliver a message for police chief Michael
2: Moore. If you ever get to deliver a message on Zoom, this is your prototype.
1: I find it disgusting that the LAPD is slaughtering peaceful protesters on the street. I had two friends go to the protest in Beverly Hills a couple of days ago, and the protest was peaceful until the police showed up with their excessive violent force shooting rubber bullets and throwing tear gas. Is this what you think of protecting and serving? Because I think it's bullshit. Fuck you, Michael Moore. I refuse to call you an officer or a chief because you don't deserve those titles. You are a disgrace. Suck my dick and
0: choke on it. I yield my time. Fuck you. If the president is taking notes, that is what a perfect call looks like. My favourite part is that after he's finished unloading on that police chief, he yields his time, realises he still has a couple of seconds left, so unyields it and throws in a bonus, fuck you. Now, as for the president himself, he initially hid from the protesters in a bunker, later claiming he wasn't hiding, he was actually just inspecting it. Then his attorney general had police gas protesters outside the White House so that Trump could have an inexplicable photo op at a nearby church while holding up a Bible like it's the ticket for his sandwich order that was just called.
2: So here I was all poised and ready to say, oh, it's Trump derangement syndrome. That's like the mainstream media, isn't it? It's just way too easy to spend all your time making fun of Donald Trump. He also, in announcing job
0: numbers on Friday, invoked George Floyd's name saying this was a great day for him, which is utterly fucking disgusting. But we're we're actually not going to focus on Trump tonight, nor are we, unlike some in cable news, going to dwell on the incidents of looting that occurred, except to say, if you've said the name Macy's more than you've said the name Breonna Taylor this week, you can very much fuck off. Likewise, if you're asking why a spontaneous, decentralized protest can't control every one of its participants, more than you are asking the same about a taxpayer-funded, heavily regimented paid workforce, you can also, in the words of this generation's Robert Frost, suck my dick and choke on it, fuck you.
2: This generation's Robert Frost. So instead of spending too much time talking about Donald Trump, he quickly got off that easy target and covered himself in glory. Instead, tonight, let's talk about the police.
0: Because all week, we've seen graphic videos, which are going to be hard to watch, of them driving directly into crowds, beating people with sticks, and sometimes assaulting the right to assemble with shocking speed and barbarity.
1: Prematurely shoot people? <laughs> Excessive force? Your scary ass on somewhere. What the
0: fuck? It's genuinely impossible to overstate how enraging that is. They're protesting excessive force by police and the police just start pepper spraying them like it's fucking sunscreen and that's just one of hundreds and hundreds of videos and look for any viewers sitting at home shocked by the scenes of police brutality i get it i'm white too but it's worth remembering that's the tip of a very large iceberg it didn't start this week or with this president and it always disproportionately falls on black communities because here are some hard facts in Minneapolis where George Floyd was murdered. Police use force against black people at seven times the rate of whites. Black Americans are two and a half times more likely than whites to be killed by police. And about one in every thousand black men can expect to be killed by police. If you're black in America, I can't even begin to imagine how scared, angry, and exhausted you must feel, not only this week, but constantly. Medical groups say police violence against black and brown Americans is just one of many physical and psychological factors that make racism a serious public health issue. And look, clearly, the police are just one part of a much larger system of racial inequality. But for tonight, we are going to focus primarily on them and try to address three basic questions. How the fuck we got to this point, what the obstacles to reform have been and what we can do going forward. And let's start by just acknowledging that the police have long enjoyed an exalted role in American society.
2: So as I was saying with Trevor Noah, the tricky part is for someone who makes as much money as John does to really sound as though he's in solidarity with working class people. In pop culture,
0: they're the heroes of beloved movies and TV shows like Cranky Gun Grandpa and Cocaine Cops Who Fuck and Manic Bigot and His One Black Friend. America loves nothing more than a renegade cop who doesn't play by the rules. But of course, the reality of policing is, and has always been, very different. And it might be worth going through some of the history here because it's important to understand how deeply policing in this country is entangled with white supremacy. But the police have not just been incidentally tainted by racism. For much of US history, law enforcement meant enforcing laws that were explicitly designed to subjugate black people. Some of America's first law enforcement units were the slave patrols tasked with capturing and returning people who'd escaped from slavery. And when slavery ended, white people had no intention of letting that be the end of white power. As one Alabama planter said in the wake of emancipation, we have the power to pass stringent police laws to govern the Negroes. This is a blessing for they must be controlled in some way or white people cannot live among them. And I know that's uncomfortable to hear. It's certainly uncomfortable for me to say. But if we want to talk about how we got here, it's important to remember that we got here on purpose.
2: I didn't know how to take that at first. But what I gather is that justice would mean that white people would be overthrown and vengeance would be had. Righteous vengeance. And everybody has always known it. Now. For a
0: century after that, police in the South were responsible for enforcing segregation while allowing and sometimes participating in lynchings and anti-black terrorism. And as black people migrated to the North by the millions, they were met there yet again by brutality. And all of this, coupled with the continued denial of economic and housing opportunities, not always particularly subtle, by the way, meant that by the summer of 1967, there were a series of high-profile uprisings against racial injustice across the United States or as white people actually describe that exact time. The summer of 1967. It is known as the summer of love. Yeah, it is known as that. And that's a pretty big disconnect, isn't it? And it honestly makes me slightly worried that what's happening right now will be remembered one day by white historians as the summer of Chromatica.
2: I didn't understand this as a small child in the 60s. But what I should have figured out as I grew up is that the laws have been there and police have been there all along to subjugate the people who were living in injustice. We've always known that it was unfair and that's why we've had police from the very beginning. Of course, the police are supposed to enforce the law on everybody, but mostly it's been on poor people and poor black people especially. But the law has never applied equally across the class strata. So what he didn't say there is that all the people dancing around and having a summer of love are dancing and singing and having a good time because they're not in the lower classes. It would be wrong to conclude that it was only because they were white and Martin Luther King would have said as much and Malcolm X would have said as much. It's also because they're poor. So being poor makes you subject to the police, but being black and poor especially because of the roots of slavery.
0: And look things did not improve from the 60s onward. Nixon pledged fealty to law and order and started the war on drugs, which Reagan later turbocharged. And by the time we got to the 90s, a school of thought called broken windows or zero tolerance policing had started to take root, which held that if minor crimes are left unattended, it will lead to more serious crimes. Therefore, police had better crack down on those minor offenses. That fueled the saturation of police in low-income communities of color and gave way to policies like stop and frisk, which essentially allowed police officers to search people at random. At that policy's peak in 2011, of the nearly 700,000 stops recorded in New York, the vast majority were of black and Latino people. Or, to put that another way, those policies too often basically amounted to this fucking bullshit just under a
2: different name. We have the power to pass stringent police laws to govern the Negroes. This is a blessing, for they must be controlled in some way, or white people cannot live among them. It all amounts to the same thing. He could have mentioned there that Michael Bloomberg was one of the major proponents of stop and frisk. Because he didn't, I was ready to say he's only going to blame Republicans for all this. But no. And that sort of
0: aggressive policing was accompanied by constant calls to increase the number of police officers on the streets. And let's be clear here Democrats were very much involved in that, from big city mayors all the way on up to this guy. An initiative to put 100,000 more police officers on the street, more prisons, more prevention,
1: 100,000 more police. 100,000 new police in communities of all sizes. We need to finish the job of putting 100,000 more police on our streets. Last fall, Congress supported my plan to hire, in addition to the 100,000 community police we've already funded, 50,000 more concentrated in high-crime
0: neighborhoods. Yeah, thanks very much for that, Congress. 100,000 police officers isn't cool. You know what's cool? massively expanding a broken institution to score cheap political points and if you can do that while playing the saxophone well that just gets even cooler
2: so what we've been covering the last three days on this show both in oakland school policing and in policing in general is that police are called on to do way too many things i said yesterday something about if the only tool you have is a hammer then every problem looks a lot like a nail And so we made the case that we need lots of different kinds of tools to solve the community problems that we face. And all the while, as we were continuing
0: to boost funding for police and give them more authority, we were simultaneously slashing spending on key social services. That meant that in many communities, the police were the only ones left to handle almost any issue that people had, which is a real problem, as this former Dallas police chief readily admits.
1: We're asking cops to do too much in this country. We are, we're just asking us to do too much. Every societal failure, we put it off on the cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding, let the cop handle it. Not enough drug addiction funding. Let's give it to the cops. Here in Dallas, we got a loose dog problem. Let's have the cops chase loose dogs.
2: Not to mention school discipline. And I've been a public inner city school teacher. I know it's difficult to always know what to do with your students, But passing that off onto the cops is not appropriate. And you know what? He is absolutely right.
0: We are asking police to do far too much. They have a massive array of complicated duties that in many cases, they just aren't equipped to handle, making them very much the Jared Kushners of local officials without, of course, the expression, complexion, and general demeanor of a haunted baby. So while we should absolutely... Be angry at the police right now, let's also be angry at the series of choices that left them as essentially the only public resource in some communities. And on top of all of that, we've made those bad choices even more dangerous in recent years by needlessly arming police to the fucking teeth. As we discussed six years ago now, we've issued the police literal military-grade equipment, some of which you've seen used to control and intimidate protesters this week. And it's frankly not just the hardware that's a problem here. Because a whole sub-industry of police training has also cropped up to reinforce the message that cops are at war.
2: And I had another article already to read to you about this guy that he's about to mention. This guy is scary as fuck.
0: And perhaps no one takes that idea further than this guy. Once you've made the decision to take a human life, you're a transformed creature, you're a predator. What does the predator do? They kill. Only a killer can hunt a killer. Are you emotionally, spiritually, psychologically prepared to snuff out a human life in defense of innocent lives? If you can't make that decision, you need to find another job. Wow. You know, the problem with telling someone that they're a predator is that it primes them to see the rest of the world as potential prey. And of course, cops who went through this training could wind up on edge. You wouldn't train a barber by saying, here are your scissors, a snip like this, and oh yeah, this is how to puncture the carotid artery. Now, you won't need to use this 99% of the time, but if you don't think you can make that decision, you need to find another job. He belongs with his own kind on the booster side of the island. By the power
1: vested in me, by the law of the jungle, blah, 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 blah. We come! What? Come on. Do I look like a steak to you? Yeah. See, I told you I don't look like a way. Wait, what, what, what'd you say?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: He's going savage. Run for your life. <laughs>
2: The Madagascar version of defunding the police.
0: Now, that gross man is actually called Dave Grossman, and he calls himself an expert in killology, a term that he invented and defines as the scholarly study of the destructive act, just as sexology is the scholarly study of the procreative act, which... Ugh. And also, I'm pretty sure that the first lesson in sexology is never call sex the procreative act if you want anyone to procreatively act with you ever again. And as batshit as Grossman is, he's by no means a fringe figure in police culture. He's on the road giving trainings 200 days a year. The officer who shot Philando Castile had taken a class based on Grossman's theories. And when, in the wake of that shooting, the Minneapolis mayor banned officers from participating in warrior-style training, the head of the police union there, Bob Kroll, announced plans to defy that decision.
1: If they deem that this training is in violation and they're on their own time and they want to attend it, I'm going to encourage officers to do it. I myself will be the first one to do it. If I would be disciplined, it would never be upheld.
0: I honestly don't know what's more alarming there his determination to train police officers to be predators, his air of casual impunity, or the fact that he has a sign in his office that says, let me drop everything and work on your problem, which is always the office decor choice of a grade A arsehole, but especially if it's someone whose actual job is to work on other people's problems.
2: I'm going to skip ahead past the part on police unions. I'm not saying that John is anti-union or even anti-police union, And I'm not saying he's wrong about police unions blocking a lot of the reforms that need to take place, but dismantling unions is not going to get us where we want to go. So you can go back and watch this part later on your own if you like. So if the unions won't act and the federal government won't
0: act, what else can you do as a civilian to get accountability if the police violated your rights? Well, you could try and sue the city or the individual officer in question. And in high-profile cases especially, they can be incentivized to settle for astonishing amounts. In fact, over a period of five years, the 10 cities with the largest police departments paid out a billion dollars in settlements and court judgments. And listen, I'm no comptroller, believe me, I wish I were a hard to explain, lethally boring elected accountant whose title inexplicably took a real word and then stuck an mp in the middle of it. Come on, that's my dream jump. But even I can tell you, if you're spending a billion dollars on misconduct settlements, you might want to seriously examine what conduct looks like. And if a city doesn't feel that it has to settle with you, you're in real trouble. Because civil suits against cops are nearly impossible to win. Just listen to a defence attorney explain one reason that it was going to be difficult for Michael Brown's family to sue the Ferguson officer who killed him. Civilly? Sure, they could go after him civilly. The problem is he has qualified immunity. He's going to say that I was acting within the scope of my employment. This is what I was doing. Yeah, and he is right about that. Police officers are often protected from consequences due to something called qualified immunity, which sounds like something you get from a horrifying cheat code in Grand Theft Auto. Well, guess what? I turned on qualified immunity, and now my car runs on prostitutes. But it's actually worth taking a moment to talk about that term. Very basically... Qualified immunity means that a public official is immune from lawsuits unless their exact conduct has already been ruled unconstitutional in a previous case. And I do mean exact because small tiny variations can result in the case being thrown out. This happens All the time. For instance, one case was thrown out because of the difference between unleashing a police dog to bite a motionless suspect in a bushy ravine and unleashing a police dog to bite a compliant suspect in a canal in the woods. Which I totally get. Those are two completely different kinds of outdoor holes. And then there was this case. A federal appeals court has ruled Seattle police used excessive force when they tasered a pregnant woman during a traffic stop in 2004. She was shocked three times with a stun gun for refusing to sign a speeding ticket. Although the ruling was in Brooks' favor, the officer who fired the taser was given immunity because the law on stun gun use was not clear yet. That is absolutely ridiculous. The method the officer used to assault that woman clearly shouldn't matter. It's like if Jeffrey Dahmer was declared innocent because he cooked his victims in an instant pot. The crime is the killing, not what fucking appliance he used. Now, the good news is, there is a chance that the Supreme Court will soon decide to reconsider qualified immunity. There's there's actually a bill in Congress right now to abolish it. Although, even if it passes, it may have to wait for a new president to sign it. And we may not get one of those anywhere from
2: the next four years to never. Now, there he sounded as though he was expecting that Democrats would be better than Republicans. Having a Democratic president would be better than having a Republican president. And if that's where he's coming from, that's where most of the elitist people are coming from. They should have thought of that before they cheated Bernie Sanders. Because we grubby populists weren't going to have any corporate sock puppet candidate. Of all the places so far, this is the one where he was most closely resembling a condescending elitist. I don't know if you noticed, but embedded in there was the idea that the electorate is just too fucking stupid to understand that we can't have Donald Trump as president. But we're not as fucking stupid as you might imagine because we also know that we don't want Joe Biden or any other neoliberal corporate sock puppet. When I watch Bill Meyer and the other evening entertainers, that's where they most often fall down on the job. Their critiques of modern society and of politics in general sound snarling and sneering. And they really do seem to believe that the average American isn't smart enough to govern their own affairs or to know whom to choose to govern their affairs. Ending qualified
0: immunity would be great. That alone isn't going to be nearly enough. And that brings us to our final point here. What do we do now? There are a lot of suggestions to look at. Unfortunately, some prominent Democrats have been spitballing ideas that are embarrassingly small and perhaps none more ridiculous than this and the idea that instead of standing there and teaching a cop when there's an
1: unarmed person coming at him with a knife or something shooting him in the leg instead of in the heart is a
0: very different thing there's a lot of different things oh my goodness wow that lack of imagination is not particularly inspiring but also not particularly surprising coming from joe biden who is truly the getting shot in the leg instead of the heart candidate right now <laughs> Well that's Obviously absurd, the instinct that Biden just displayed
2: I have to quibble with that. He's the equivalent of getting shot in the fucking head instead of the fucking heart candidate. He's the very face, although you can't see his face, of systemic racism. John doesn't mention how Joe Biden's name is on almost every piece of legislation that's tough on crime over the last 25 years.
0: But the key question is not if an officer should shoot someone, but where is shared by many politicians in new york bill de blasio has balked at making it illegal for police to use chokeholds despite the fact that a chokehold is precisely what led to the death of eric garner but the fact is the incremental reforms that we've tried like the wider use of body cameras and implicit bias and use of force training are not on their own going to cut it i'm not, not saying that we shouldn't still try them, but in many cases, you are contending with an entrenched police culture resistant to any effort to compel reform. That is why many are advocating that we rethink police
2: from the ground up. And the examples he gives are when there are any attempts to sanction police and they all stick together, even if they're wrong. One even broader
0: idea that's gaining momentum right now is defunding the police. Now, that's a phrase that on its face may sound alarming to some, in fact, Just watch this professional alarmist be alarmed on his very bad face. Defund the police, no more cops. That's what they're fighting for. That seems like a fringe position, but in the Democratic party, it isn't anymore. If you live in a gated community, it might sound like a good idea. You've got your own police force. You have no plans to replace them with rapid response social workers. So you're set no matter what happens, there aren't gonna be any rapes on your street.
2: But what about everyone else? What's gonna happen to them? Rapid response social workers. I think we ought to try them. I think they would do a better job than the police in schools are doing. Yeah, Tucker, you're an asshole, but John will probably be nice to you. Let's see what he says. Okay, first of all, in all sincerity,
0: Tucker, you seem nervous. and This is a difficult moment, and I really hope that you're taking time for yourself. And whether it's through meditation or yoga, Or, just kidding, fuck you forever, Tucker Carlson, you sentient polo mallet. Second, given the shockingly low number of rape cases that actually result in charges, much less convictions, I really wouldn't be holding that up as proof that our current system is working well. And finally, defunding the police absolutely does not mean that we eliminate all cops and just succumb to the purge. Instead, it's about moving away from a narrow conception of public safety that relies on policing and punishment and investing in a community's actual safety net. Things like stable housing, mental health services and community organizations. The concept is that the role of the police can then significantly shrink because they are not responding to the homeless or to mental health calls or arresting children in schools or really any other situation where the best solution is not someone showing up with a gun. Is the idea behind defund the police if you actually listen to it which suggests that tucker carlson has the exact level of understanding about the black lives matter movement that you would expect from a man who always looks like he just saw his first black barbie and feels confused but mostly scared
2: this is the place in john's show where he could have said and to also solve the problem systemically we should raise wages and make sure everyone has health care single-payer medicare for all If that had come out of his mouth at this point in the show, I would have had no quibbles at all. I probably just would have left him alone for everything else. But sadly, that part isn't coming.
0: And look, as we know, many police will likely resist any redistribution hard. Police unions often paint themselves as essential and everything else as somehow frivolous. In fact, remember Bob Kroll? Well, when Minneapolis asked his union to accept a pay freeze due to COVID-19, here is how he reacted. The first thing we said
1: was okay let's see the budget let's see the city budget and guys they're pissing away millions and millions of dollars to projects like you know know, they're they're giving fifteen thousand dollars a year to the transgender coordinator for the city
0: all right so let's set aside the risks of violence against transgender people particularly trans women of color and instead consider that the budget for the Minneapolis Police Department is $193 million, meaning that $15,000 amounts to 0.008% of their annual budget. And if that's pissing money away, the city should really see a fucking urologist. But guys like Bob, rolling his eyes at anything transgender-related is exactly why it is time for our conversation to go beyond how should the police do their jobs to what really do we want the role of the police to be?
2: When you see that kind of shit, you think, yeah, we don't really need any kind of police role. If it came down to the assumption that every police administrator is like Bob here, I'd say flush them all. But I would say that it's even more important to focus on the roots of economic injustice than to dwell too much on Bob's transphobia. Replacing police forces with other types of agencies would probably go a long way in solving the transphobia that he's describing. And too many still seem to think that this is an issue of a few bad actors. In fact, just listen
0: to one officer unsuccessfully try to make that argument to some protesters just this week.
1: One bad hamburger at McDonald's does not make McDonald's bad. You what the fuck does that mean?
0: Yeah. That protester's right. What the fuck does that mean? Because one hamburger should mean a health inspection. A few bad hamburgers might mean that McDonald's getting shut down. And bad hamburgers regularly killing people on the street would mean that we'd maybe all consider going fucking vegan. <laughs> this clearly isn't about individual officers. It's about a structure built on systemic racism that this country created intentionally and now needs to dismantle intentionally and replace with one that takes into account the needs of the people that it actually serves. And this is gonna take sustained pressure and attention over a long period of time from all of us. And if you're not directly impacted by it, it is tempting to look for a reason to feel better about the world, to look at some cops kneeling and think, oh, well, we just need more of that. But we need so much more than that. Because ours is a firmly entrenched system in which the roots of white supremacy run deep. And it is critical that we all grab a fucking shovel. To do anything
2: less would be absolutely unforgivable. And here especially is where he should say that we should solve the problem of workers not receiving a fair amount of their productivity. If he really wanted to show solidarity with poor people, black and brown and every other color of poor people, this is the place where he should say that. And this is where he should say that we should have poor people's marches like Martin Luther King was trying to get started, where poor people stand in solidarity and demand a better system financially. And this is so obvious to me that it makes me incredulous when I see seemingly well-meaning people who don't seem to understand. It's right there in front of your face. We need to give workers more money. But then I realize where the money comes from to pay his salary. They don't want workers to receive more money. They don't mind talking about police brutality, but they don't want to solve the problem by giving all of the workers more money. That's when I wake up. Oh, that's why they're not saying it. Our owners still don't want us to have what we need. That's why we have laws. That's why we have police because they know we're getting the shaft and they want to make sure that they can keep us down and quell any riots that may ensue. The rulers are afraid of us. Defunding the military and defunding the police means that they can't keep imposing austerity on us and on the rest of the world. That's why nothing will actually ever change unless the poor people unite and run roughshod over the owners. And you can bet that the skillful people who deliver our news to us aren't going to say that. This is a tough problem when you consider how many views this show will get compared to the one I'm commentating on. People will hear his analysis and think, yeah, he's right on. He's really good. He knows his stuff. But unless he's willing to tell us the truth, that we need to upset the apple cart, that we need to have crippling labor strikes, that we need to have protests over and over and over until we finally get somewhere, unless he's willing to tell us that, we're never going to get out of this mess. I'll keep listening to the people who have big voices like John's who seem to be able to get their message out. And if any of them ever do tell us these truths, I'll let you know. And that's when we really could solve some of our problems. The way he chooses to end his show is stunning. Very good. So I'll let you watch the ending, and then I'll let you decide what we need to do to be in solidarity with the woman who's speaking.
0: And actually, to that point, there there was one person I saw this week words have been echoing around my head and you've been listening to me talk for a while so now i'm i'm gonna let her have the last word tonight
1: so when they say why do you burn down the community why do you burn down your own neighborhood it's not ours we don't own anything we don't own anything There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who
2: fixes the situation is killing us. And she said, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully. And even if Trevor Noah does give a fuck about you, his owners don't. So it's ironic when we hear him speak the truth. I've talked about looting before, People don't loot from themselves. People don't burn down buildings that belong to them. That might be solution, don't you think? So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a
1: shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years. We played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, it could burn this bitch to the ground and it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and
2: not revenge. I think vengeance is coming. I think the guillotines are coming again. The wealth of the people who own everything have come from workers, and a lot of black and brown workers at that. So even then, it wouldn't be enough. Justice would be a life for a life. It may be about vengeance, but our owners better hope not.